The Lord is passionate about a mature bride, a mature bride. It is dangerous, arrogant, and unbiblical to rest on our laurels and feel like it was done at the cross. It is dangerous, arrogant, and unbiblical to think that it was all done at the cross and to rest on our laurels once we become saved. It is dangerous, arrogant, and unbiblical. We need to grow up. We can stay playful, fun, and joy-filled. Joy is his area, his topic. Joy should actually be a fruit on our tree that's massive. So we're not talking about becoming boring, stale, and any form of maturity that's not fun. Okay, so joy-filled, life-filled, loving life, full. There should be good fruit on our tree, but it is dangerous arrogant and unbiblical to not grow up. Okay. It is also a biblical mandate. So it's a command. It's a biblical mandate to grow up other members to maturity. It is a biblical mandate to be someone who helps someone else mature. Okay. Because someone can't become mature without belonging and without relationship. God could have designed it different. He could have designed that he will do all the discipleship, please. And he will raise his own kids, thank you. But he chose to call us brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And all throughout scripture is threaded, especially the New Testament, letters to the churches, on what to teach each other. And it's not all from the pulpit. It's not all go to classes about parenting. Go to classes about emotional healing go to classes or groups. It's not even go to discipleship meetings so that in groups you can become more knowledgeable about Jesus. All of that is helpful and actually far better than just one-on-one. We have, I'm, I'm training you. I'm literally an example of training classes. It's more beneficial to add that, but the one-to-one discipleship was God's primary way. And everyone belonging in a family is his model and it's the only way it works the best anything else creates slow development so he chose that the bride is this family that bonds and gets to know each other and you're in and out of each other's lives and you know each other's stuff and you confess sin because he said he'll only come and heal us if we confess it one to another not just to him He said it's got to be one to another. He designed the entire way through has to be relational. Okay, so those of us who love relationships like me, thank you, Lord, that you designed it that way. For others, it's like, oh, my gosh, why did he choose that? There's no other way. So all of the developmental stuff and most of the trauma stuff is human reasons. Yes, there can be a natural disaster and no human was involved in that incident. But basically, the type A and the type B stuff is a human wounded me. And so he uses belonging and more humans to heal us, okay? As well as bringing his spirit and his healing balm of Gilead and one-on-one doing some healing to our wounding, which he's very, very good at. He loves to bind up the brokenhearted. But also what we need to heal from trauma is a new experience, 50% is the inner healing. The other 50% is a new experience with humans that actually goes positively. In order for that to happen, we need to become churches that are safe. 
We need to become churches that are trauma-informed. We need to be safe to people. And we need to be people that they would want to be vulnerable with. Otherwise, people are stuck in a fight, flight, freeze, trauma, stress mode when they're around us because we're unhelpful. We are immature and we are creating havoc. Our immaturity confuses non-Christians. They look at the Christians and they're like, is that my goal? Do I really want that? Where's it all be running if we were a whole bunch of elders, yeah? Although we hope we'll always have infants in our church because that's when we have new believers, new believers, more broken-hearted people, and we just keep raising them and keep raising them, and the parenting never stops. Okay, so the Lord designed this thing called spiritual adoption, and that's one of the things that's on his end. So he spiritually adopts us into a family, into the family. It's even in, is it Psalm? 68.6, that one, it says he puts the solitude in family. So he's, he's the person who's like, you are my child, and he's, he does the saving, and he also then adopts us into a family. It's up to us to attach ourselves to a family and actually connect to a family, and it's up to the family to adopt us too, all right? But spiritual adoption is a concept, biblically. Um. Then there's this concept called covenanting to a family. That might be a bit weird for some. They're like, my only covenant, if I have one, is to like my marriage partner. But the word covenant is I'm all in. I'm both feet in, in the good and in the bad, in sickness and in health, in the pastor being a nincompoop this week, in the worship leader singing the song I don't like, and in the home group leader letting me down, and in the random guy talking to me, and in the person who didn't talk to me, because no one talked to me. All of that, it's yes, welcome to an incomplete, an imperfect family. Okay, so we're an imperfect family, but covenanting is both feet in. So it's our job to attach to a community both feet in. And some of us don't, and we're one foot in, one foot out, because of the first column, so our recovery issues, or maturity issues because of traumas and recovery issues. But those of us who can't do two feet, it's usually a trust issue. Okay, And some people literally, their trust has been emaciated with what they've survived okay, and what they've grown up in all their lives. So some people, their trust is like, i got almost nothing left. I've just chosen to trust God. I don't know if I can do this. It's a huge thing to trust a community, all right? So we need to become trustworthy. But the only place trust is going to be truly healed is in the belonging. So you can go and have a therapy session with someone who does recovery, and the person can talk to you about the broken trust, and you can even have some ministry into the broken trust, but you're not going to grow it until you've got a context called belonging to a family. So we need new skills and the healing side that develops and now we do things differently, you need a context to do that in. So if someone's only doing recovery work over here and sorting all the stuff out, they're still like, but I'm not going to attach. It doesn't mean that true healing's happened. True healing is when I can do that work and attach. So people, especially with attachment traumas and things like that, this is a frightening environment. You are scary. Okay? But we need to help embrace people and understand that they might be in, out, in, out because of their stuff and become safe people who adopt them, pursue them, go after them. The, the, the thing someone needs the most is eyesight that when you look at them, they can tell that they just made your day better because you saw them. Do you know how healing that is? It creates a joy center in our brain. If someone walks in and my eyes is like, it's you. All of us can do that. 
That's called belonging. Literally, it's like delight when we see someone literally grows. It's called the joy center of our brain. It's in the front, preferable. It's in the front. On the right side, this grows. The joy center grows when we know that we want it, that we're loved, that someone's delightful to see, delighted to see us. Appropriate, safe touch. We can build it up in slow amounts. We don't just... Well, our community does. Everyone's hugging everybody, and the new people are like, <laughs> I got so touched there. But um, <laughs> it's going to take me a while to adjust. But appropriate touch, healthy men, healthy women, being fathered, being mothered, it heals something to have a new experience of being fathered. Some people have never been fathered. So to have a spiritual dad, a spiritual mom, it's healing. Okay, but we need to be grafted in. And to be grafted in, we need to be safe for people, but people need to choose bonding, and we can't do that for them. Relationships are where we heal. Okay, so that's the main thrust of why the Lord chose belonging as a part of becoming whole, is relationships are where we heal. Um, learning we're accepted, learning our identity, having unconditional love, trust, all of that happens in the belonging zone. Anything that was missing in, in our recovery list can be replenished and restored, and even if we have it for the first time, in a good, healthy heart community, okay? We can learn we're accepted. We even learn eventually, and I'm going to tell you that I'm actually into this, and actually I, I watch this, and actually I'm sleeping with three people, and actually, and sometimes the masks come down and the truth comes out, and that's the glory place. That's like... There's trust here. So sometimes it takes giving you a little bit, giving you a little bit, giving you a little bit. But being accepted when there's sin is so healing for anyone who grew up in a real performance oriented or conditional, conditional love where it was, you can't be messy, can't be messy. We need churches where people can be messy. There's boundaries. They can't create mess, but they can be messy. And how are we going to rebuild if we can't break down first? And the recovery journey is often a breaking down and an unlearning and the Lord just doing a whole bunch of work. But how are we going to do that if we can't give ourselves over to a safe people who actually know the way through and they've done it before us because we've become elders? Yeah? So relationships is how we become whole. And in a belonging community relationship dynamic, one of the most important, important reasons for a family is to do with unlearning, misdirected growth. So if anyone has grown up in a household where it hasn't been the kingdom culture in the house, day and night, all those years, then we're having another culture be taught to us. And I'm not talking ethnicity. I'm talking lots of like degrading comments about government, police, mocking people, porn on the TV, drinking, laughing at the idiot you just drove past, comments about homeless people, um, selfishness, bagging men, women a week, slapping you know, a kid over the face, and all this sort of modeling that's happening, that's not kingdom culture. So that needs to be unlearned and relearned. Kingdom culture gets learnt not just from, how many Sundays are in a, month, a year? 50 something. I did fail maths. Is that geography? <laughs> I don't actually know what subject months of the year is in. But 
everything can't be taught from the pulpit. <laughs> everything can't be taught from the pulpit. It takes discipleship to learn kingdom culture. It takes everyone who's becoming an elder actually in the word and learning how now shall we live and discipling somebody in those areas, okay? Because so this here, I tried to find a bonsai. I didn't. I texted Kylie and Kylie tried to find a bonsai. But <laughs> story of our friendship. <laughs> but um, so this is a pretend bonsai. But the point is, if we have grown up with a culture that's not kingdom and we've grown up with a lot of, a lot of sin in the house and a lot of dishonoring people and a lot of addictions going on. Okay, bad fruit. That's a shorter way of saying it. If there's a lot of bad fruit in the house when we grow up, then we now become someone with misdirected, misdirected. So this is not straight. This is someone who has been guided by a man who doesn't honor women in the way he talks. This is someone whose mother just loves talking about, you know, gossip, gossip, gossip for your whole developmental years is talking about other people and being just totally talking about them with the grandma and the auntie and talking to you about your siblings and that's all misdirected growth, okay? So we are then becoming people who belong to a family and a whole church can have some kinks because we have not had kingdom culture before we were learning about, I mean, about kingdom culture. We, we didn't have kingdom culture, so we've got this. Put a whole bunch of this together, and it's really painful to be in leadership, yeah? A lot of you have led people or, I mean, there's so much joy in having children, and there's just, there's just delightful moments where that pregnancy and birth were worth it. But when you've been a pastor for a lot of years or you've led something, sometimes don't you feel like you're either smacking bums or wiping them? Like, there's a lot of misdirected people, adults. Yes. Have you met any? I have. I've still got a twitch. But then we all end up in the same church together. And we become leaders. And pastors are like this. And worship leaders are worshipping and then go home and then turn porn on. And um, the prayer ministers are chronically masturbating. And the person on the door goes home lonely and binges and then goes shopping. And, like, there's a whole bunch of crooked stuff going on, okay? So what we need to do is talk about all these topics in a safe church that we belong to, where people have covenanted to us, even when all our stuff comes out, they're not going anywhere, they're not going to leave me, and they're not going to forsake me because I'm safe and my mess is acceptable. But what we need to do is learn new skills, okay? So that is mainly done in discipleship. But how can I, so pretend, pretend Ali is this beautiful thing, and I'm discipling Ali, if I don't know kingdom culture and if I'm not living kingdom, kingdom culture, how can I immerse her in that? And if I'm not in the word and learning how now can we live, how can I, how can I train her up in this sort of thing? Okay, so we need to become mature ourselves and then be a community that adopts and disciples people. But we need new skills, all right? And there's a whole whack of skills all through the word about how we need to live and how we need to treat each other. Um, so what I want to do, because I think we've got enough time, is there's, a, there's quite a long list of skills. I'm just going to list a bunch and then maybe zone in on one or two to give examples of things that actually we need to be teaching each other about living better. Is that okay? Okay, so 
The skills when we are becoming straight trees is we actually need to learn to be trustworthy people and to trust. There's not everyone knows how to trust. The people who know how to trust were brought up in trustworthy families and their trust wasn't broken. But to actually learn to trust is something some people need to walk out over time. Okay, and we need to disciple them. We need to own people and go, I'm going to help you to trust. And you're going to not trust me a bunch, but we're going to do this. Learning to be trustworthy. Some people don't know how to be trustworthy. Deception is what got them through, what kept them safe. Lying is second nature and the consciences see it. We need to learn to attach to individuals and communities. Some people, they just, they cannot attach to your church or your group and they keep going missing. There's attachment trauma there, okay? But they need to learn to attach. It's a skill. Some people need to have a goal of connection. Do you know how many Christians don't have a goal of connection? Take the microscope, put it over this marriage. You can tell from behavior whether both of them have the goal of connection, the goal of it, despite whether there's issues. Behaviorally, do they both obviously have a goal of connection? You can tell in this person when they come in the door, this person, this pastor, this leader, does everyone have the goal of connection? Is everyone's love on the switch and remain on? Or do we switch it off when someone lets us down and we just don't talk to them for three days? Do we turn our love off if there's a problem and there's big gaps and there's distances and I'm changing home groups and I'm changing churches? And I'm, you know, do we turn our love off? It's a kingdom culture to have our love turned on and to keep it on. We can have boundaries, but keep it on. Knowing how to even remain in relationship is a skill somebody to learn. Healing from damaged emotions. So there's particular emotions that the Lord, that the word talks about. Learning what we call distress tolerance, to not get a big flare up and to just be yelling in an outburst. Learning to self-regulate. Do you know that a kid who grows up to be a regulated human, which means can manage their own emotions, meant if they can manage their emotions as an adult, it meant someone was co-regulating with them as a child. So a parent's job is to co-regulate. I'm going to share my calm with you. But a lot of parents escalate too and have the flare-up when the child has the flare-up and yell back instead of I'm going to share my calm with you and I'm going to help you co-regulate so that you can come back down. So then we have all these adults who need us as their new family, the belonging, to co-regulate. There's actually people in the church who we actually need to get alongside and go, I'm going to do what didn't happen for you and I'm going to teach you how to de-escalate and to start managing your emotions and owning your stuff because it's very childish that you're having these responses. But unless someone starts co-regulating and helping you through it, you're just going to stay stuck in that immaturity for the rest of your life. We need to be brave enough to enter into someone's flare-up and walk them through becoming a healthy person. We need to learn to listen and validate some of us need to learn to have a friend or to be a friend. Some people need to learn, how do I have a partner or a mate? How do I be married? Well, it doesn't just happen that it's there. And especially if there was a kink, if there's misdirected growth, then the next marriage is just following some modeling. How do I lead well is a skill. How do I parent well is a skill. How do I be a disciple? How do I disciple others? How do I obey God? How do I live in holiness? How do I even have a desire to live in holiness? The scriptures, Jesus is like, be holy. If it was as easy as just obeying his command, everyone in this room would. So positionally we're holy. He did that at the cross. But 
our salvation, walking it out in fear and trembling. A lot of us have unholiness going on. And a lot of us are hiding it because we're in maybe a church where belonging hasn't been established as part of the culture. And we will be discarded if we're not perfect. And we have performance-oriented churches instead of actually discussing our unholy areas with each other. We need to learn holiness. We need to learn to be a wholesome person with wholesome thoughts and wholesome words coming out of our mouth and wholesome behavior and have wholesome morals and values and actually want to even have them in the first place. We need to be honorable people. All of this is in the word, okay? It's kingdom culture. But some of us have had misdirected growth and this isn't in our lives, but we're Christians. We need to learn to communicate our needs and our issues and our truth. We need to be able to give and receive feedback. We need to have healthy boundaries, love well. This is all in the word. A lot of us are lacking the skills. We're not a whole bride. We need to learn how to manage finances, have sexual wholeness and manage our sexuality, not hate our sexuality as a way of managing it. That's bad fruit. Appreciate it, love it and manage it and have wholesome management. Have integrity, have a good character. Give, receive. Some of us have a bigger giver than a receiver. Some of us actually don't know how to receive. Some of us are takers only. And in communities, some people are attracted to churches because it's a community that has to just meet my needs because that's what Christians do. You, you can actually have a dependency disorder. It's a personality disorder. I have a, you can have a dependency disorder and you can literally just go to churches to get your needs met. You have to, we sometimes have, we have to learn to contribute to community and not just take. So these are all kingdom things that are in the scripture, but unless we're part of a church where we belong and anyone's discipling us into different ways of living, we're Christians who've got a whole bunch of bad fruit in our life. We're talking badly to our wife or to our kid. We're disconnected. We've got addictions going on. We've got unresolved anger, and we have just disconnection with God. We, we don't want to just stay there. That's not life to the full. He came to give us life and life to the full. But that looks like attaching and telling. And literally, discipleship looks like accountability and being known and talking about all of those topics. What do we do with things like Titus, Titus 2? There's lots of letters to churches about how to do this sort of stuff. Titus 2 says, so teach each other. Older men elders, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. This is all kingdom culture stuff, which they might not have learnt. Sound in the faith and in love and in steadfastness. So there's these character qualities that need to be built because they're maturing. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behaviour. So this is all character qualities, not slanderers. Do you know how many Christians are slanderers? Gossipers talk about other people. Uh, or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. Who? The pastor? The discipleship course? The parenting? The scripture says the elders, the people who actually chose maturity and became mature, it's their job to teach each other. So the elders are supposed to turn around to the people coming through the developmental stages and it says the, the women are to teach what is good. We are to retrain each other and to get us out of what's not good. They are to teach young women to love their husbands. That actually has to be taught. That's what I mean. We need to learn how to love. Some of us don't know how to love. The job of teaching how to love your husband is not Brad Joss's. It's not a course that all helps. It's the women in the church. 
it's the man, it's you. It's you becoming mature, turning around and discipling someone else and training them, which means you could be talking about their marriage and talking about what's going on and talking about what to do with their heart and talking probably about their sex life and talking. You actually got to get in each other's lives. You've got to attach and belong and really do the journey with each other. Um, train them to love their children. So that's a skill I mentioned. Okay, This is all in the word is to belong and to train each other, to be self-controlled. That means you're probably going to have to talk about topics where there's lack of self-control got to attach you got to go to these places the shame's got to be broken we've got to know each other's lives and pull each other higher because if we don't it's going to block maturity we can't get to eldership if we're not talking about these topics and being safe for each other to be messy and then calling each other higher be self-controlled be pure if we're going to talk to each other about purity that means we've got to discuss what's not pure happening in their life so we've actually got to enter into these topics with each other safely. Um, they've got to be teaching them to be kind. So some people have to learn that. It's actually misdirected guidance. There's a lot of Christians who are not kind. Uh, teach them to um, uh, yeah, how they treat their husbands. It's the submissity that is kingdom. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men. So there's training. Training happens in discipleship relationships. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That takes topic topic discussion. That takes talking about those issues. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. That means we have to have accomplished it ourselves. That means we have to have become mature. That means eldership had to have happened. We can't get to eldership if we've not done our recovery work and if we're not attached to a community. Do you see how they all interlace? All right, so... Let me zone in on an example of a skill. Something that happens a heck of a lot in a church culture is what some refer to the triangle of drama. This is my favorite. I love drama. It's so fun when you're leading and there's drama going on. Wouldn't you agree? So, a drama triangle is often taught at home by a non-kingdom culture family. So there's a kink here. What usually happens, so this one has to do with, we need churches where this is not happening. You usually have someone called a victim, okay? It could be any one of us. And it's usually a child grows up with a parent doing this, okay? Becoming a victim. You usually have a victim and the victim is angry with the persecutor or the bad guy because of whatever. So for example, a victim's angry with the church pastor. Does the victim go talk to the church pastor about it? No, they go and find a rescuer. I'm gonna find somebody who I can talk to about the pastor and then I actually feel better so I don't need to talk to the pastor and everything's fine. Very toxic. So an example of this in households is mom, who's the victim, wants to talk about dad and go off about him, so she'll do it to the child who becomes the rescuer. Rescuer is often someone who loves filling that role. So rescuer each time goes, I'll listen to this, instead of, you can't talk to me about that, you've got to go to them directly. Can you imagine if all of our churches had people who refused to be rescuers? But the people who love it the most are people who were raised up in houses where they had value because they were rescuing someone in the family. It's like, like, 
often the people who were parentified or parentally inverted, we talked about it last week, where they were actually being adults early, their whole identity is on how much they are the answer to the situation. And so we have mum talking to the child about dad. Then it switches and the dad talks to the child about mum. Or mum talks to this sibling about that sibling. Or mum talks to the kid about the ex-husband, their dad. Or dad talks to the sibling about the ex-mum or and it just goes on and on and on and no one's keeping it private and going this has to be just between the person who's annoyed and the person they're annoyed at so what happens is all of those people who've grown up in that happening and some it's so strong in the household where it's literally every day to the point of and all friendship circles all the friendship circles this person's talking to that person about that one sometimes the rescuer eventually becomes the bad guy because the persecutor and the victim made up and then they dispose of the rescuer. They don't need them anymore. Gets kicked back out. And sometimes the rescuer tries to help and they do something wrong and they become the, the persecutor, the bad guy. And so then now they're in the bad books. But you have people who actually literally cut people off. So do you have in your generational line literally different people who have cut each other off as a way of dealing with it? That's this stuff, okay? Because they're not addressing it with this. That's different to boundaries, we can't deal with them because they're choosing to... Yeah, so that's boundaries. That's different. But this is, I'm going to punish you by cutting you off. And I'm going to talk to this person about you. I've been on the receiving end of it as well. Okay? Where it's literally, I, I'm just cut off for a season because I don't actually even know what I did. Because guess what? I never heard about it because someone else did. Because the rescuer always gets the news. That's not dealing with stuff. Then all these people with this way of doing relationship conflict resolution arrive in, in a church. And they're part of a church community and it continues. Then you have a life hub, a home group. And this person's angry with senior leadership. So I'm going to talk to my home group leaders about it. And unless the home group leaders are schooled in, we need to stomp this out. They can easily become, and I'll listen to you and I'll console you and everything's better now. And it never gets sorted. Okay? Or, oh, this isn't gossip. This is because you're really hurting. So I'm just going to listen to it. And people in the church are listening to each other's hurts about leadership. But a lot of hurt with leadership is projected mother and father issues that haven't gotten resolved in the recovery column. Any recovery issues we haven't resolved with our mum and dad issues come out in the belonging column because sibling stuff will come out with other church members. Mum and dad stuff will come out with church leaders. Broken authority figure stuff on the recovery side, anything unresolved, it's in our glasses. I got pink glasses on because I... Rah, mum. Then I join this community and I look at Amy and I've got my pink glasses on. So everything unresolved is projected on to her. Not to say that I'm perfect. I definitely hurt people. But usually the rage and the response that comes with it and then probably like a child who feels they can't deal with mum because she's all powerful has to go somewhere else. So this unrecovered church member will go speak to someone else and never actually form trust bonds with Amy because the pink glasses are still on. So it's just so toxic. So this is one example of a skill that in a community we actually need to teach the whole church how to manage this and stomp it out because we can't let the little red foxes in and eat the vine. This is how cracks form. This is how whole church splits form. This is how teams can just live in disconnection and dysfunction and all talking to each other. This happens at workplaces. This work person talking to this person about their regional... Whoever the next one up is, is usually the persecutor. 
okay? It's toxic and it's terrible and it's not kingdom. And none of us should ever, 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 ever participate in it. But it's so quick and it's so because it's developmental. It's years of it being modelled to us. So that's why we need to be in a new community where it doesn't get encouraged and stomped out and we learn how to do it instead. Is this okay so far? How do we do it instead? Matthew 18 says, how do we do it instead? Matthew 18, 15 to 17. We need to be teaching the skill. If your brother sins against you, familiar language everywhere in the Bible. So you're all brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters. If someone in the church basically sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Ah, not go and tell someone else his fault. Isn't that amazing? It was there all along. We have to go directly, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. Triangles are not allowed. No triangles in the kingdom, except the Trinity. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It's a command. This is healthy living. Very few people know how to do it and it's frustrating. If he or she listens to you, you have gained your brother, which is kind of supposed to be the goal. Do not try and go fix something if you don't actually have the goal of gaining a brother. Because if you don't actually have the goal of gaining a brother, you want to stay resentful and you want to stay disconnected and you're doing it because it's the law and you're actually seething on the inside and you don't really like them. You actually have to have the goal of gaining a brother and then go talk to them one on one. If they are safe, don't go talk to someone who's you're not going to be safe, like who's going to hit you or something like that. But you need to talk about it one on one. If he listens, you've gained a brother. If he does not listen, and some people cannot hear feedback, Take one or two others along with you, not go to one or two others and tell them. So still it has to be victim to perpetrator, but actually let's get off that thing altogether and not be victims and actually be powerful people who go, I'm going to go and talk to Lynn Scadden about, can I just have a conversation when you said this, I heard this, and we actually need to fix something between us. Lynn's like, whatever, didn't hear me, whatever that definition means. I'm not going to give some terrible examples because you're a wonderful person. So it doesn't work. What that means is I have to go fetch Ali. Too many lens might become confusing. Ali, I have to say, I have struggled. We're disconnected. Will you come with? Because you know her and me. You love us both. You're for us both. Will you come and listen? And then we try again. That's a healthy triangle, not this stuff, okay? Then... If it still doesn't listen, if they still don't listen, oh yeah, so take someone with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So someone being able to go, well, she's actually saying this and you're saying this and oh, okay, I have, I understand. If they still refuse to listen, so Lynn's still, whatever, it doesn't get cleaned up, tell it to the church. Tell, take it further, bring in the senior leadership. It doesn't necessarily mean get on the microphone tell the whole church, I just want to make a report, Lynn Scallon sucks. <laughs> That's not what it really means. It just means keep getting more help, not to get into triangulation. Bring more in and let's get more help, okay? If they refuse to listen to the church, like the leadership, blah, blah, let him be to you as a Gentile, a non-believer or a tax collector. How do we feel and how do we treat non-believers? with love so that still we don't have permission to disconnect 
So if anyone has ever done that about a leader or anyone in your church community, that is absolute dysfunctional relationship dynamics and it's got to be stomped out. So this is an example of a skill where the church needs to be teaching people the scripture of how to do kingdom culture. We can only do that when we belong because some people, so another one, was the culture of feedback. We actually need churches that have a culture of feedback where it's normal to give and receive. I kind of want someone to stand next to me and go, you have salad on your teeth? It's actually kind of good to know, okay? We need to do that also about our stuff, okay? We need to be able to go, got salad on your teeth, about something in our character, about stuff we're into, about our reactions, about our pride, about our boastfulness, about um, the fact that we keep withdrawing and hiding, the fact that we won't attach, the fact that we're on the triangle of drama. Anything, we need someone to go, can I just give you some feedback? Like Kylie might say to me, can I just give you some feedback? And then I'm like, okay, go. It's not easy. It's not easy to hear feedback. But if it becomes something that you want, because you want to mature, and maturity involves feedback. The only thing reason we wouldn't want it is because we think we've made it. That's pride. That's deep pride. We've got to be hungry for feedback. Um, but people who can't receive feedback are often shame-based shame-based or pride-filled because feedback sounds like an attack on them as a person. I sometimes forget that not every church has a feedback culture. I had a journey with a lady who was in leadership at another church for a while where I just was struggling a bit with some salad on her teeth. And so she eventually asked me, is there something with me that you don't like? Because you don't hang out with me a lot or whatever. And I was like, oh, and I took so much time and I was just so gentle and we sat together and I was like, it's just this. And I described the salad, metaphor for some junk that really you can't bond when that stuff's there. It was non-judgmental. It was kind. I've not really had a relationship with her since because she's like, but, but how could you say that to me? Have you heard that? Like, how could you, how could you say that I'm prideful? I'm like, it wasn't an attack on your identity. There's prideful behavior. This isn't you. Our sin isn't us. But I would want you to tell me if I was prideful. Isn't that what the kingdom, isn't that what everyone's passionate about, is knowing if they've got salad on their teeth? But I've learned that actually it's like, if you loved me, Christian to Christian, you wouldn't say things like that to me. Like, you said that. It shocks me. We need to become people who, and it's actually the zero to three thing, Often in that time frame, especially if there's some developmental needs, it's often those people. Not that it's a tell-all for all, but that's when you hear any feedback as an attack on who I am as a person. All right, it's a developmental issue. It's a maturity issue. But we need to become passionate about giving and receiving feedback and doing it safely and learning how to do it or we won't mature because you can't mature outside of relationship. I don't mean that a person standing there and a person standing there. A relationship is bonding, and that includes feedback. So we need to lay down our pride and pick up our invitation and say, will you give me any feedback as part of our relationship? And there better be a heck load of exhortation going on in that discipleship relationship as well. Encouraging each other, speaking into each other, building each other up. That's all got to be there. But this, this crookedness has got to come out, and we've got to grow up. 
So that's an, those are examples of some of the skills. I don't know if I have time for this next one. Can I just launch into one more skill? Do you need to stretch? Oh, okay. I'm going to shove it in. This one might come across a little bit as a counselling psychological concept, but just stick with me because I want to talk about some of our attachment issues. Okay, so for example, what we could learn in our recovery when we're learning a new skill, which was at the bottom of that one, is about the window of tolerance. Okay, so this might be a new concept to most. It's not in the Bible, but the idea and the concept is because the Bible refers to some of the behavioral things as not being okay. The window of tolerance is basically if we're in the blue zone, we are tolerating well what's going on around us. We have reason, we have emotion, we are comfortable enough, we are going okay, we're in a church service, we're in a worship time, we're in an, um, a meeting with someone because we got salad on our teeth and someone's giving us feedback. We are balanced, we are regulated as a person. When someone becomes dysregulated, we either go up to what's called hyper-arousal, don't get stuck on that word, emotionally hyper, or we go down out of the window, and that's called hypo. All of the inflamed responses of heat, anxiety, anger, frustration, that's all up into hyper arousal. Our heart rate goes up, we get a bit heated, and it's called flipping your lid. So you flip your lid out of the blue zone, and that's some people, it takes all of 20 seconds when something gets said to them, or when someone didn't talk to them at church or when someone is annoying and came up for prayer for the 70th time and you watch them and you judge them, not that anyone here would, but hyper arousal is what happens behind closed doors in families. Mum flips her lid on the household. Dad flips his lid on the household. A teenager flips their lid. Rage, anger, yelling, anxiety, all of that is outside of the window tolerance. Something that's happening is going on. It's probably not a lot of kingdom happening and it's probably a maturity developmental stage issue. So we can become, as part of the bride, people who help co-regulate. It just takes learning to do a lot of validating, a lot of listening. Do not reason with someone when they flip their lid. Do not. That's like having a five-year-old who's flipped their lid and you try and explain to them why you disciplined them and why you'd walk them through what just happened. They have left the frontal cortex of their brain. This is where we do all of our problem solving. For example, someone who drinks and becomes intoxicated, what happens with the alcohol is it impacts the frontal lobe and they can't walk straight. So when someone's left their frontal cortex, this is the problem, reasoning, thinking rationally, making wise decisions. Anyone who's become hyper-aroused leaves the front and goes to the back. In the back is fight, flight, fear response, trauma response. They can't think. Do not reason with someone who's angry, flip their lid, got big emotions going on. We actually just need to come alongside, help them with breathing a bunch. It sounds crazy, but slow breathing in the body tells the brain and the heart that you're safe. So some ways to actually regulate and to calm yourself is for the body to tell the brain. So you do that through slow breathing or just grounding yourself and slowing down. But it takes someone just validating and just have some time out. Hypoarousal is just as unhelpful. And this is someone who zones out. You can be in a classroom and you can tell someone's hypoed because their zone out look happens on their eyes. Happens sometimes when someone's speaking to you from the microphone. Oh, they just zoned out for a minute. That's cute. 
So hypo is also, just like hyper, a coping mechanism. I'm actually going to zone out, it's flipping the lid downwards, to cope. So a lot of children in trauma situations hypo as a way of coping. I'm just going to go away on the inside for a little bit. It looks like sleepiness. It looks like avoidance. And it looks, the extreme of it is dissociation, where you actually leave the situation going on in front of you on the inside and you're somewhere else. Going into a fantasy land, any of that coping mechanism with trauma, that can become habitual. So some people on the recovery journey need help to stay in their window of tolerance as a lifestyle and come back to life because they live a bit gone. But some people it's literally, I'm bored or I'm whatever, zoning out is how I'm just going to regulate myself in this moment. Okay, so we either flip into hyper and we get intense or we just zone out. Both is we're not being present. Both really impacts relationships. Why are relationships important? Because we need to belong in a community. And that involves people staying out of both the red and the green and attaching and being present. Okay? So we have whole families where behind closed doors, someone's in hyper and, and someone's often in hyper or um, between each other, we're being hyper or we're just happy to avoid. I'm just not going to really interact with you, not really interact with you or not. And we actually have this hyper, hypo dissociative, disconnected way of actually being in a family. So I'm going to transition. Now the way that we handle humans is another concept. It's not in the scriptures. It's called getting stuck in enemy mode, which is the opposite of relational belonging mode. It's getting stuck in enemy mode. Also Dr. James Wilder, who was doing the life model, and Ray Woolwich ex-army person, they wanted to put words to how do people cope when they see people as not the best thing to bond with. So people who have attachment issues, people who've got judgments about people, have enemy mode. I do not love the terminology used because simple is not a great thing to describe some people. I wouldn't want to be called simple. Stupid's even worth. I want to call someone stupid. And what we're just about to learn is the people who are defined as intelligent, it's actually that they're being the opposite in the moment. I didn't come up with a terminology. Stay tracking with me. When it comes to feeling like people are unsafe, what someone usually does is get stuck in living a lifestyle of simple enemy mode to cope, stupid enemy mode to cope, or intelligent enemy mode to cope. And then we have churches filled with people stuck in enemy mode because people aren't safe is the judgment on the inside. Simple enemy mode, I'm going to give an example of in a household, in a neighborhood, in a marriage. Simple enemy mode is the hypo. It's the going out of your window of tolerance and it's zoning out. Simple enemy mode in a household is flipping on through the phone all the time. It's not connecting with who's in the household or even realizing someone wants to connect with you and actually finding connection taxing and annoying that someone wants to bond and talk about the day because my normal mode is to be a bit detached. That's the hypo. So my coping mode is to not live with the goal of connection. My coping mode is just a bit of distance. This is someone who has a whole week and they never rank someone. There's no intentional bonding. There's no reach outs. There's no... Bonding doesn't happen at work and then they come home and they bond more. This is not introvert, extrovert thing. This is a this is a relationship issue. All right? This is not kingdom. 
We don't have to be with people all the time. We don't have to be in intense bonding all the time. But we can't turn our love off. There's so many Christians who live in simple enemy mode in the church. This is the neighbor who the garage door goes down and then they go inside and they don't interact with the one next door. It's a passive, passive, passive way of doing relationship life because there's no... I did fail physics, but if I were to do nothing... That didn't make sense. If I were... To pick something up, I would need to use force or energy or something to do with that. What a simple enemy mode is, is when I'm doing nothing, I'm disconnected from people. It's their stance in life. What we want our goal instead to be is when I'm even just doing nothing, I'm connected to myself, to God and to others. At all times, I've got my relationship circuits turned on and I'm aware of people and I can interact, not Oh, can you just give me an hour and then I'll come and talk to you about your day And because I want to stay in simple mode a little bit longer. We need to come out of simple mode and learn, develop, it's a developmental issue to have your relationship circuits turned off. It's not a personality thing. It's not an extrovert-introvert thing. We need to have our relationship circuits turned on to be the bride because Jesus never turns his off and he is the example and we're to grow up to be just like him. Maturity is learning to be a person whose relationship circuits are turned on all the time. Even if you're having breaks from bonding, it's turned on. Simple enemy mode is mine are turned off most of the time unless it's required of me and it's kind of draining. Stupid enemy mode is the hyper. It's like the neighbor who, when the bin was put out and it was a little bit on my lawn, I'm going to yell at you from across the fence. So this one's not passive, it's active, but it's aggressive. So simple enemy mode is anger and flare-ups. Often a simple marries a stupid. Often one's just passively disconnected and one's always yelling. Okay, And the stupid looks worse, but both are bad. Stupid is emotions and anger and annoyance and there's trying to probably sometimes cope, compensate for simple. Some people simple marry simple and both are actually just live... There's no arguments. Everyone actually is getting along. It's just, we just live together, but it doesn't mean there's high connection all the time. You're just both in some friend zone sort of. There's comfortableness. It's actually too simple Get people getting away with it. You actually got to live with the relationship circuits turned on both. So two simple people can just exist together. Two stupid people live together. That's fireworks. All right, some of you are laughing. So what we want to have is no simple and no stupid because we stop judging that connection is a bad thing and we start learning that the Lord wants us to be long and that's an attachment and our relationship circuits need to stay on and we need to learn how to stay attached and have wonderful attachment. And so that means we can't have the flare-ups into hyper and that means we can't go and just zone out and disconnect from community. Just rocking up on a Sunday and leaving just before the service finishes, that's simple mode. Arriving and doing the triangle of drama, that's stupid mode, okay? Intelligent enemy mode is very, very dangerous, but some people live in this place. Intelligent enemy mode is also called predator enemy mode, and that's, I didn't like what I experienced, and I'm going to take this church down. So that's someone who leaves because we won't put up with toxic culture, and then they're going to go to the news and the media, and they're going to share one star on Facebook, and blah, 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 blah. It's, I'm going to get you at take whatever cost. It's the husband who's actually building a case against the wife and keeping records and tracking stuff. It's high-level, predatory. I'm going to get you at all costs. It's leadership who's 
method of leading is the end result justifies the means of how I'm leading. So they're going to trample anyone to get to the top. So we see this in marketplace. We see this in churches. And that's literally, if you don't agree with me, you're out, you're on the team anyway, and you better do overtime. And I'm just going to build the church on the backs of other people because the means justifies the end. Because the end is big church and everyone's going to come. So we're just going to not have character and be unholy and do it all this way because the means of getting to a big mega church is we're just going to get there dysfunctionally. That's, that's intelligent enemy mode. It's very dysfunctional. It's toxic. Um, it happens to churches and accusations that can come that are empty. All of these modes need to come down. We need to be people of kingdom culture who go one-on-one to people and who stay with our relationship circuits on. We need to literally go, do I have the goal of connection? If I do, where can I see it in my church attachment? Besides Sunday morning, if I go, which isn't even a biblical thing to arrive on a Sunday morning, we are the church. What does it look like during the week? Let me flick through this last month calendar. Where did attachment appear? Whose table was I eating at? Who ate at mine? Who was I ringing? What does attachment look like in my home? Do the kids feel I'm attached to them? Are my relationship circuits turned on to my kids at all times? Or are they now stuck in a next cycle of type A trauma? We need to become healthy biological families and a healthy bride where everyone's learning how to stay relationally connected and, and keeping the attachment clean and quickly coming back when there's been an offense, not letting the sun go down on our anger and becoming a healthy bride that matures, that the world looks at and goes, I want to be part of them because of the way they love each other, which is an active word. But we're full of simple enemy mode lifestyle, the garage going down and we go inside. And that's what, what's happening in our church socially. Okay, so we've got some work to do. So those are examples of new kingdom ways. We actually need to do lots of equipping and teaching each other. That's the heart journey stuff. It's not just inner healing. It's how now do we live in a kingdom way? And some people, I break, it breaks my heart, but they do come into this community going, I don't have one part of me that's straight, up and down. All of it got misguided. The bride is the answer but we need to be brave enough to take people on and go, I'm going to disciple you and it's going to cost me my time, my finances, my frustrations because you're going to make mistakes a lot because I'm going to hear things that it's uncomfortable and you're probably going to leave and come back and then you might walk away and never come back. But I'm going to do it because I'm doing it unto the Lord and then we become mature and then we end up taking on whole communities and we change the world. Isn't that exciting? That's all I've got to say tonight. Did anyone have any questions that I or Brad could answer or any other leaders that have helped with our slowly developing kingdom culture that we have or any comments at all? I'll try. Tia down the front. Yeah. Hello. First of all, thank you, Amy. That was amazing. Um, thank you. I just wanted to ask about the window of tolerance. I'm not sure if I heard you correctly, but you said it was biblical? I was saying that word isn't in the Bible. Okay. But there'll be some things where we're, 
do not flare up in your anger. Yeah. There's, there's parts of it. There's guidelines as yeah. to the behavioural side of it that isn't. But I feel us having a corporate language for things like this and adopting understanding how emotions work. There isn't a whole book of the Bible that explains emotional development. But unless we, the church, go, we want to learn that and get schooled in the stuff, we won't know how to help someone who is got relational development issues and can't mature because we don't want to just teach them about only the scripture and how prophecy works and how whatever we need to teach them about doing it different. Thank you. Michael. Thanks for that, Amy. That was great. Um, my question's about the triangle. Yep. And there's a lot of discussion. Obviously, you have uh, someone discipling you, and that's great, and that they're going to come with you, and I'm lucky enough to have that. But when I go, say, to Mother's Day, my mm-hmm. brother and I have been rescuers um, uh, our whole lives. And so how do I just say I'm not – or, like, how would I broach that without – Anyone else, no one else there is kingdom-minded. So how do you it's a very, and say, very I definitely have question. immaturity, obviously, you know, you know. And so, but obviously I'm trying and that's why I've been on this journey. I can see that. So how would you broach that without obviously making them uh, wrong or, yes. you know. Very, very good question. Up. Very fair question. A lot of us will come to know the Lord and our actual biological families won't or our workplaces won't, and then we're learning kingdom culture, and then we've got to go back, and the same environment continues. Um, Every situation is completely different. I would need to know your mum, blah, 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 blah. But in general, some of what's going to happen is we need to do this for the Lord, and we're going to become the bad guy sometimes. So sometimes what can happen is in a short term of, I'm not sure... I'm not sure that it, I'm the best one to listen to this, but is there someone I can connect you to or how, how, how can I help in a different way so that you're not just disconnecting and leaving them to it? How can I help in a different way? Is going to, for some people, not saying your mum's like this, we're going to become the persecutors and the bad guys and we're now in trouble because we're not rescuing anymore and it's actually going to come with possibly some losses. Um, but sometimes what can happen eventually is when that situation's not happening, so you're not at the table being asked to rescue at a different time when nothing dramatic is happening is, hey, mum, what I've been wondering in our dynamic is sometimes this happens. I'm wondering how you'd feel if we moved even into this dynamic and you talk about a kingdom culture and you get to coach her, but at a time where she's not using you in that moment for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's not like full, it's not like all the time, you know, because yeah. nothing's over all the time. But yeah. yeah. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah, That's have like, a conversation. Not, don't just about rock up out of the blue and say, I'm never going to listen to gossip ever yes. again. Yes, you or know? even call it that. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it can be like, sometimes I feel when you're frustrated, you feel like I can hear you well. I'm wondering if we could, and then come up with something else as a solution, showing you want to stay attached. Yeah, something like that. That's very hard to do. It's, it's hard to change culture, and Brad's probably going to have. He always has the higher wisdom than me. Go for it. No, no. I love learning from you. No, I think it's because it's, there's an opportunity where you want to walk in righteousness yourself, but you also want to be one that brings righteousness into a situation. So I think that's where the, like to go, oh, cool, I'm not just going to yeah, call it out. Hey, you're this and you're that, and I'm not going to have any part of that. You say, hey, I want, I want my mum or I want my sibling, I want my friend to learn how to walk in freedom as I'm, as I'm discovering. And so we actually get to be part of 
even subtly without using any of the Jesus Christian language, we get to, to start creating that culture. And that is, yeah, that is the kingdom coming. The kingdom comes in culture. As the culture starts to shift to look like heaven, it's an atmospheric kind of reality uh, that we get to do that. So, But it's, it's learning then having that uh, insight from Holy Spirit as to how to broach those subjects. But sometimes as well, we need to set a boundary that actually just doesn't work and that relationship ends, like it could be a friendship where you say, I'm actually not going to be victimised anymore by this person, I'm going to put a boundary down, that person doesn't want to have a different form of relationship, and so we also, you know, have to be prepared that as we choose a different pathway, it, it doesn't necessarily always work out as well, so. Okay, a lot of people have that question. Anything else? Comment, need, thought, added? Teresa. Um, similar to what you were just talking about, but in your relationships outside of here, um, if you're the one that's always been sort of like passive and not speaking up, say it is a parent and you don't want to listen to something or um, a friend that's talking about, you know, talking in a bad way about mm -hmm. men or women, how do you speak up to them? in a way that's polite and nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> I always feel, oh, I just feel bad. Yeah. We can feel bad to set a boundary or we can flare up as a way of overcompensating. Um, but I think, I think taking on a journey of why don't I feel powerful and actually going before I have a conversation with them, how can I move from being a passive person to actually knowing I'm a powerful person with wonderful value for myself and actually making myself safe in this situation and setting boundaries. Like setting boundaries is a skill a whole bunch of people don't have. How can I become that person? It's far easier to have that conversation when you're not trying to fake it and assert some courage that's actually not there in the first place. Become a person of honour. Become a person who doesn't listen to that. And then you just get to peacefully leak what you will and will no, no longer listen to because a boundary is not you must do this that's not a boundary a boundary is I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this so we set boundaries by going I'm not going to listen to that you get to do whatever you want but I'm not going to listen to that that's a boundary become that powerful person I think even as I shared on the first week that the beauty of all of this is that it's Jesus actually transforming us into those types of people. So we become that, and that's the key. If you take a whole lot of skills that you just work out as tools, but you're not, you haven't become those things, then it does become clunky, and we end up not doing it very well because it's not actually an overflow of the presence of God, of yep. Holy Spirit changing us, and then us becoming those that's people. It. It, yeah. So but the, it, yeah. the becoming involves practicing, and you practice on people that are in the belonging. So you practice on the body of Christ. Can we just get to make mistakes together? You get to give me a boundary and and say it rudely, and then be afraid, and then feel like guilt after you set the boundary. And we get to walk it through, and then you go to past places, and and you've practiced on on your family. Otherwise, you do it, and it goes really bad, and you go, oh, clearly that was the wrong way to do it. I'll just go <laughs> yeah. back to the old patterns. So. Yeah. At the, end of, um, at the end of last week, 
um, after talking about the recovery column, I was like, oh, I, I wonder if there's some people who've got some pain or some issues or some bad fruit that it's coming up, and I wonder if they know what to do with that or who to go see with that. Um, and so this week I just asked to Ali and Lynn. They oversee sort of the prayer ministry side of our church. I just want to introduce them to you, and they're just going to give you a handout to leave with. Um, other than that, that's, uh, that's me for the evening. Come on, Ali and Lynn, how about you just share? Thank you. Thanks, Amy. I just feel so blessed that we are here. Aren't, aren't we blessed, you know, to hear this type of a message? <laughs> yeah, so um, this is Lynn and I'm Ali. And um, we have the honour and privilege of um, uh, helping to develop our freedom ministries here, which is the prayer ministry. Um based on the Elijah House, and Amy's been um, mentoring us for a long time. And um, so, yeah, there's the maybe, perhaps, um, has been some, some little triggers that have, have been poking at your heart at, um, during this time. So we'd just like you to, to know that you're not on your own and that if you do feel like you'd um, like to talk this through and, and have some prayer ministry, um, there's these little flyers here. And, um, yeah... <laughs> So, so one of the ways that you can do that is by contact us in, in Paradox here, and uh, Lynn and I can organise to have um, a prayer ministry session. There's um, also Alice Williams, and she's been um, doing this for a long time. She she lives in Perth, 26 years, is it, Lenny? That's amazing. And she's just wonderful. So we could put you in touch with her, and her number's also on here. There's um, some wonderful, wonderfully experienced people. Um, Sandra Selm is one of them in New Zealand. And um, she'll do three-day intensive prayer ministries by Zoom. Um, there is about, I think Amy was saying, a four-month waiting list for her. There's also, pardon, Yes, yes, it's um, three hours each day, so hence it's called an intensive prayer ministry. <laughs> um, and you usually get, um, you know, have a, a, another person that sits with you, um, one of us or another prayer minister who is just um, praying for you and there to support you as well. There's also Thea and Sarah in um, America and the same type of thing we do as the, the Zoom uh, prayer ministry. So all of that information is on here. Um, old, old Lindy Davis is um, also a Christian counsellor who lives in 2J, Northern 2J. Um, and again, she'll do counselling on Zoom. And if I could just quickly say that what we found is that um, uh, doing prayer ministry uh, having some prayer ministry sessions where you really go to, you know, those those inner vows and those um, foundational lies that we've believed and those judgments. Um, that's that's great, um, and also then to help you walk it out, it's also helpful to have um, ongoing counselling with Lindy. So you know, some of us have uh, do the both. Yeah. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
Thanks. Would you like one of these? Sure, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. Um, so as Ellie just touched on at the end, there, it is really important doing the healing journey and the heart journey is to have people around you and have a kind of a multi-faceted approach. So we encourage people to have prayer ministry, also to see a counsellor and to have friends, mentors, a safe community around you because you need all of that, those different kind of dynamics uh, to be doing that. But um, we certainly want to, our, our heart is, and with the Freedom Ministries, is actually to raise up as many prayer ministers as possible to train them, to start them for uh, our city because we really believe that uh, this message is, is important, the message of the heart and the healing of the heart so that we can have healthy, thriving uh, believers and churches to, to impact and transform our city. Um, but uh, we're just on a journey of, of of slowly kind of building that as well um, but uh, but we're excited and uh, so thank you Amy so much for, for what you've brought over the last couple of sessions um, and we really do we want to journey with you the best that we can uh, we're just here to uh, to support you I know you're all from uh, a lot of you from different uh, churches from around the city uh, which is super encouraging but uh, if we can help out anyway just reach out uh, or even it might be that you're you know, you're just connected with people, the person sitting next to you that you're journeying with, and that can be someone that you can kind of start on this journey together, doing a bit more uh, investigation uh, in, into your own heart space and, uh, and to be building that. So, uh, yeah, and keep your eyes peeled. We are, we're working on more of this type of stuff and creating more opportunity uh, through our uh, transformation centre, uh, which is uh, on site here, where we can kind of offer more of this in a deep way. I mean, what... What Amy covered, um, like we, we could we could preach on this stuff every day for months and months and months. There's so much good stuff. Um, if you want to find, uh, so even our, our Lilia Haven crew, they've been learning this stuff up there and uh, and seeing awesome breakthrough. But uh, but there's just so much good stuff, so much revelation from God that He's bringing uh, to bring people into into freedom. And so uh, we're just really excited about what God's doing in our city. Uh, I just want to pray for you before you go and bless you. Uh, so why don't you join me in prayer? Well, Father God, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you are uh, at this moment delighting in the outworking of our salvation in each of the, of the lives represented here, Lord. It is your delight. We thank you, Father, that you are bringing healing, you're bringing restoration, you're bringing revelation, God but we thank you that you're so safe and you're so good and you're so kind. Thank you, Jesus. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would seal up the seeds that have been planted, that you would uh, water them, God, that you would bring uh, beautiful life uh, to the seeds of truth that have been planted over these last few sessions, Lord. But Father, I also just pray your protection over each life, over each heart, over each mind. Lord, we know that the enemy does not want breakthrough in the body of Christ. The enemy does not want breakthrough in individual lives, Lord. We know that the power of sin has been broken on the cross, but Lord, we want to see it broken off people's lives in every way that we can walk in freedom, walk in the abundance of life that you promised, Jesus, and go out and see others set free by your power, your glory, your might, and your goodness, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, that you're doing a good work in us and through us. And we either speak your blessing upon each person, Lord, as they go. Bless them as they go. Bless them as you send them out into the world. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Bless you guys. We'll